This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with coach developer for the FA, Amy Price. She discusses her work at Fulham within the youth development phase, how she supports coaches in the WSL with their personal growth, as well as her work around video game design and how this has been implemented in a live sport context. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. So, Amy, really appreciate you um, jumping on. Apologies that I was late. Obviously, we caught up a little bit off air there, but how are things your end? All okay? All good here. Thanks, Michael, for having me. Good. Um, For people that maybe don't know you, don't know your background, you just want to give us, I guess, a bit of a whistle-stop tour of who you are and and what you do in your day-to-day life. So, currently, full-time at the FA as a coach developer, um, working in a senior women's professional game, supporting the coaches. Um. Prior to that, I was uh, full-time at St Mary's University. So I was programme director for the PE and sports coaching degree programme. Um, spent about six or seven years at St Mary's. It's kind of like my home. Studied there as well. Um, but then coaching-wise, I've been at Fulham. Fulham was like my first club. Um, working in the girls' centre of excellence a while back. And had a break. Went back into the boys' pre-academy. Had a break. And then went back into the boys' YDP, which I'm still doing now. And then obviously, like, various coaching roles. And then amongst those jobs over the years, um, just trying to get as much exposure as possible to different different groups of players, really. Yeah, it's the same as everyone's journey. You end up doing all, all jobs under the sun, etc. Exactly. Um, in terms of you at the moment, then, how do you manage that work, I guess, of being on the grass and actually doing a little bit with, with players and doing that? And then, obviously, your coach development type hat on. How do you manage those two schedules? And how, I guess, how are you able to cross-contaminate in terms of ideas that you see or take that you can then use within sessions? Yeah, I mean, I was really lucky when I went back into Fulham in the YDP, the head of coaching at the time used to do a job similar to mine at the FA, Ben Bartlett. So he kind of understood the demands of the job in terms of travelling and stuff. So the agreement was I wouldn't have to be there at every single session and everything like that. So I'm really lucky that I can um, work my diary around the coaching opportunities. And um, yeah, like it's it's strange because, yeah, when I'm at Fulham, I'm a coach, part of a coaching team. And... I sort of take my coach development hat off, but not completely because you can't. Um, so it's just, uh, you know, first and foremost, you're, you're supporting the players. You're there as a coach supporting the players. And I think just the environment at Fulham anyway allows for like a lot of informal coach development conversations to happen anyway, just because of the way it is at Fulham. Um, I'd say there's it's a real strong environment for like individuality, uniqueness, like everybody's valued for the skill set they bring. Um, I would say that coaches are really open-minded at Fulham. So that supports just like conversations with each other about why are we doing it like this and are there any other ways we could do it and why. So it's quite easy really. Like I suppose if I went into another environment, it would be hard to like, 
to do coaching and coach development but yeah Fulham it's just I love it I'm not gonna lie I actually absolutely love it at Fulham always have done but the environment was just exceptional like yeah no I can see by the way you're talking there obviously yeah no excitement around that space I think something that I picked up on which is really interesting you mentioned around the uniqueness of being able to have that uniqueness how does the club manage that alongside having I guess some core philosophies or core strategies that they want to achieve so how I guess from your perspective being in the coaching side but also understanding what the coach development side looks like do they manage individuals uniqueness unique ways of working while still sticking to you know this is who we are as an identity of Fulham Football Club I would say like the identity is the idea of individuals reaching their potential and um, embraced in skill sets of individuals whether that's coaches or players that is the identity that makes sense so um, how myself as an assistant coach in the under 14 age group how we might operate as a coaching team so there's a head coach another assistant me as another assistant and then there's like a head coach overseeing the 13s and 14 so like and there's obviously all the other MDT members of staff so like how things might happen in that age group might be quite different to how say 13s or 15s operate whether that be on the pitch in terms of how they play whether that be what what they choose to coach how they choose to coach it like it's just centered around these are the players in front of us how do we best support them to reach their potential and therefore as a coach you have to be quite flexible and quite able to um, have the rationale behind why you're doing what you're doing because it's not like you follow a curriculum for example or there's no like nothing really prescribed to say you have to do it like this um, so therefore you, you have some really good coaching conversations about yeah what why are we going to do this and who's this benefiting I think that's really interesting just around the, the idea of probably challenging you as a practitioner as well. Because if you've had a group, for example, that, um, you know, might might have had heavy command style the year before and been really well drilled. And then they come to you and you're like, listen, that isn't us as a coaching group. We are not command at all. We're the other end of the spectrum. It's like, actually, how do we figure out and analyse what the players' needs and wants are? And then how can we facilitate and change our coaching to what, what we need and want and kind of come up with a program that's specific for them? So I'd imagine actually as a practitioner, it's quite refreshing to be able to have that flexibility to go, I'm going to work on all different aspects of my coaching because I need to, because this is what the group is presenting at the start of the season. Yeah, I suppose it's um, probably something I've definitely learned. Um this is only my second season with the 14. So something I'm I learned and I'm still learning about is the importance of of understanding the background of that group and understanding what they might be going into. Um I suppose then you get that oh, I wish it was zoomed out opportunity to see what their pathway might look like. Because yeah, like in the moment, like the coaching team in the under-14s might make certain decisions around 
yeah, whether it's be whether it's something around the practices, like the way we play, how we communicate. But I suppose, yeah, just knowing more about what they've been exposed to so far can really shape how we might communicate with them. And in, um, in terms of strategies, yeah. like gaining that insight, have you got any particular strategies of how you do that? Um, well, something I think is really good at Fulham is, um, is every week there's a, a meeting, an MDT meeting to plan, you know, what we're going to do for the rest of the week. And it sounds like really standard and probably lots of clubs and lots of teams do that, right? But it's the nature of the meeting in terms of, Sometimes it might just be quite logistical. Like you might have the under-13s coaches on there or the head coach of the 13s and the 14s. Sometimes you might have the 15s coach on there as well. It's just logistical around like, yeah, there's two games this week, this player's playing up, this player, blah, 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 blah. But like from a coaching point of view, sometimes those conversations are really in-depth around individual players. And so it's not just the under-14s that would be in that conversation but it's yeah different members of the phase the wider coaching team and you get to talk about individuals really um there's no like it has to be this person on this date like it's just really um responsive to like what's actually happening in that context in that period of time in that week to shape that and that just drives and shapes like our discussions and it's all about like how can we best support this individual and that's probably a strategy in terms of a bigger picture sort of getting a little bit more of a bigger picture perspective on on the individuals and then how that can inform our coaching practice yeah and I guess having that informality within a formal you know weekly meeting actually allows you to as you said be quite fluid of what you're discussing so you are able to react which, which is I guess a real positive in terms of you um, working with, with or alongside coaches, what do you see as some key differences of working in that like PDP phase? YDP. Sorry, you work in the YDP, but obviously YDP. With, the, with the England stuff, is that around oh, the PDP okay. phase? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So what do you see some of the key differences in terms of challenges that you face kind of being in that YDP space to then when you make jump across into the older age groups is there any particular challenges they face that are different from your experience yeah really different um because the the full-time fa role is senior women's game so we're talking like wsl like first team coaches managers again championship coaches managers um and from the 21s as well so we work with the under 21 staff as well um, so yeah, the I mean it's it's like a different world, right? Like where women's football is now compared to where it has been. Like this is you know it's on TV, it's on Sky, it's on BT. Like it's it's in the limelight. So this this changes the the needs and wants of the individuals you're working with compared to maybe if you were working with coaches in the talent pathway at say 14s or 15s. It's just like a really different. It's just really different, like the challenges are different that they face, you know. I I couldn't even begin to describe, like you can only imagine um the the emphasis on like leading, influencing, managing, um, communicating with external agents. Thank you. 
external sorry communicating with external like stakeholders like yeah all of this stuff that the coaches nowadays in the women's game at the highest level are doing so my role in that obviously is not to um to preach anything not to claim that I have any answers because I've never done that job in my life so I don't I don't know what it's like to manage at that level at all um or even coach at that level so my job is very much to be as curious open-minded as possible as supportive as possible someone who's able when when required when asked to like give an independent perspective on what I notice or what I see or what I see the situation ask really good questions try to listen try to pick up on stuff like be a sounding board like that it's it's actually quite advantageous that I haven't done that job before and because it allows me I think to do coach development better in that space because I'm not coming in with really strong opinions or experiences biased I'm not I'm just this person that's really interested and hopefully hopefully like ask some meaningful questions or get the coach thinking and helps them to be supportive and I, I, listen, don't go into specific examples here, but how much does um, a, how much of a challenge does it present for them kind of having philosophy and ideals of how they want to play, how they want the environment to be, what they want to do long term compared to the performance reality, which is if I don't win any of my next 10 games, I'm going to be potentially be out of a job or, you know, my star strike has gone down and now all of a sudden that has put a whole different challenge in what does that actually look like um from that space a good question i i believe that again i haven't done it so i'm not speaking from experience i'm thinking about it from a logical point of view so i guess when you when you're appointed at that level you have in your own head a vision of how you would love to play football. Like it's your ideal in your head of how you want to play football. And that's probably been shaped by your previous experiences, your exposure to the game. Um, and then it's just a case of, okay, here's my ideal version of football. This is the players I've got currently. How do we work a little bit of a, yeah, be a little bit more um, pragmatic or appreciative of what is like realistically possible in the shorter to medium to longer term so I think the the coaches in the Super League well you know it's a real difference difference in the Super League because you could have like a Chelsea who are everyone knows how amazing Chelsea are in terms of the depth depth of their squad the unbelievable talent that they have the money that they might have um, compared to maybe a team who's just been promoted win the Super League who might not have as much backing but the difference it's like a league within a league you know like it is really different in the Super League in terms of top and bottom so I think there's trends that are coming out of the game like yeah we're probably seeing more um, possession based styles of play in the Super League now more than ever which is great but also added to that which is even better we're probably seeing more flexibility in teams you know, teams that are able to play direct, getting behind in one or two passes versus those teams that like to build up really patiently, which is great, which is brilliant. 
because it's making it more difficult for opponents to to um to respond to the game problems, which is great. I, I think the coaches are really um really invested in individual player development, even though they are managing a team to win games, which is great. So I think there's an emphasis on how do we actually improve the technical, tactical, psychological, physical capabilities of these individuals. Because we haven't got probably a little bit, you know, different to the Premier League. There isn't like loads and loads of money that every team can just go out and buy their perfect players. Like at the moment, there's maybe some elements of that, but generally speaking, like coaches must invest in player development, even at the highest level. And I think that's a real strength of the women's game. And I think that is good for the managers in a way, because it really probably helps them to make some informed decisions on their playing style and some like informed decisions on what are my players capable of? What are they not? What could they be capable of? What probably will they never be capable of? So, yeah, it's a real strength of the game in terms of investing in individuals, I would say. Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting point you made there in terms of it seems like because it's such a growth period at the moment as well, it actually allows you to sculpt what you want environments to look like. And whereas, um, you know, you mentioned the Premier League is very much, you've got like 18 months. If a player hasn't done it in 18 months, they're probably looking to ship them out. You know, the, the environment that could now be created within the WSL is actually we're looking to zig when other teams zag. So we might, we want a performance level, but we also realise this might be a longer term project to get some individual development from this player because we think longer term they fit in perfectly with what we want to do as a culture, as a group, as a team. Um, and, you know, if you can start embedding that into a variety of clubs, all of a sudden that becomes how the women game, women's game operates, etc. So I think that's a really interesting space. Um, obviously, one thing um, that you've been known for, if you like, is your work around, um, uh, I'm going to put gamification slash video game design, um, which I think are, are very two different things. Could you explain to us initially how you got into that space and what the difference is between the two two uh, areas, two things are? Yeah, so I'm not sure about the uh, whether I like the fact I'm known for this or not, but um, definitely didn't happen on purpose. So it was it was a master's study um, from way back in 2014. Uh, back then, I was probably a very naive coach, and I used to believe that games like games based practice was the best way it was you know the way that you would coach all players all the time that's that that's what I believe I'm very embarrassed to say that because it's definitely not the case um but as a result of that belief I committed to a master's dissertation on games based practice and it was that simple it was that um straightforward I just went on to google and put in what is a game I just wanted to know what Google thought a game was. And um, yeah, obviously didn't anticipate that all of the results that came up were not sports-based. It was um, like video game stuff. I was like, oh yeah, I didn't think about that. And then stumbled across um, somebody called James Paul G, who's an American um, professor in 
in some stuff that is way complicated. I can't even explain what it is, but um, he's basically written a lot of books on like education and video games and how actually video games are extremely well designed in terms of developing people's ability to learn and their performance as well. And I was like, wow, I've never, I'd never thought of video games as that before. I kind of probably just thought of them as like entertainment. Like I used to play a lot of video games. Like I love playing them, but I never really analyzed how they were designed and realized it from a point of view of learning. So yeah, like read loads of his books and then ended up doing my dissertation on how do I bring that to life? So he's saying that video games have all of these different principles embedded within their design, which help learning. He's not a practitioner, so it's very abstract. And I'm thinking, okay, I get it. But then how does that look on a football pitch? Like, how would my practices be designed to bring out them principles? And I just did natural research study basically into, into that. Um, was coaching an under, a girls under 19. Just, yeah, practice that every week in terms of how to bring out the principles. So that was the start point. And then um, that evolved basically into me wanting to find out more, um, work with coaches and not just me on my own figuring this out, but I wanted a number of people, coaches to support me in figuring this out. So then I ended up um, doing, well, my my first meeting with Dave Collins, my PhD supervisor, was this is what I think. I think we can, I think there's something in video game design and I think it could be some sort of games-based coaching approach. That's what I want my PhD to be. And um, in typical Dave fashion, it was like, okay, cool, but why is that different from anything else? You need to write a paper on that. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll write a paper on that. Um and it was brilliant because it really opened my eyes to like, yeah, how is this different? And it actually made me look at all the other different coaching approaches that I had not seen value in before. And it made me study them and it made me really understand actually everything's valid. It just depends on the context that you're in as to like how valid that might or might not be. So that really was a turning point for me. But at the same time, I was dabbling in sort of coach mentoring and coach education for the first time so then it again brought it down to reality of actually I was probably being really idealistic over the years and actually the fact of the matter is that yeah coaches need a number of tools right there's not no one best one so yeah it all kind of penny dropped for me in that moment um and yeah long story short um the PhD initially was around this whole thing with video game design but really it was about um it evolved into this idea of game understanding and how can we support players to problem solve to understand the game etc so the video game stuff started there um i did over that time develop right some principles that underpin video game design in, in coaching practice which was like shaped by g's work initially but then kind of refined and ex uh, expanded on by myself and the whole gamification thing ended up over through that period, like people were calling it that. Um, so it was great that, that there was some traction and people were interested in this video game stuff, which was brilliant because it was helping me understand it better. 
but then it was just getting a little bit misunderstood in terms of the language is it gamification is it video game design and actually it's different because um the whole video game design is based upon like learning and there is an argument to say that the gamification stuff is actually based more upon motivation motivation um and changing the behaviors of people as opposed to developing people's capacity to learn so that that it sounds like really small like oh it's just gamification it's just a word but it's not it's like a real different meaning behind the two terms no i think again this is me i guess getting clarity but i understand what you're saying there it's like actually the video game design is designed in a way to incrementally challenge you to the point of if you're going to the big bad boss at the end you've learned all these skills to the point of where you're capable of being able to do that and it challenges you along that journey where gamification is like a as you mentioned there is more of a behavioral thing is actually can we make these things i'm going to use the word fun but more far more game relative rather than just doing a something where someone's standing with a wall so my understanding of what you said there i think is clear and i think that's a really interesting distinction between the two um you've literally hit nail on the head yeah said it much more succinctly than me um but that's and i'm not to say that gamification is better or worse than video game design again it's just another tool that coaches might want to use there's yeah it's just knowing what the purpose is behind it yeah, no, perfect. And if you're going down that video game design principles and stuff, what were some of the key principles that you stumbled across that you decided on and landed on in terms of his actual implementation when putting it across to the players? So it's five principles. Um, firstly, it's about missions as opposed to objectives. You know, often as coaches, we we kind of we design a session and we have this objective that we want to get out of the session. Maybe it's something like, I don't know, playing through the thirds. It's a real cliche. Like <laughs> maybe it's something like that. Um, and obviously we design our practices to enable the realism and the repetition of that to come out. But like this is more missions, is just like you're gonna set an end goal of a game. So like yeah this is what you need to do in the end but how you get to that point is up to you so therefore what you're not planting in players heads is certain skills or tactics that you want them to implement you're actually not planting that in their head you're actually setting an end goal and it's their choice of what skills and tactics they deploy to achieve that end goal which hopefully means that they they they're strategic with that and they're thinking about, I'll do this, but oh, it's not work. So now I'm going to have to try and do this, not work. I'm going to have to try and do this. So, would so that it's, be it's like the end mission is we've got to score a goal within seven seconds of our goalkeeper having the ball or something like that, and then allowing them to explore how they do that, whether they go really direct, whether they go use the wide areas, whether they want to try and play through, whether someone just dribbles. Is that... I guess from an implementation point of view, is that kind of what yeah. it looks like? I mean, even that, I would argue that you're telling me then that I need to attack quickly. Okay. Like, even that's telling me that you're wanting me to attack quickly. So I would say in its most simple form, it's like, try and win the game. That's the mission. Win as many games as you can in the next 60 minutes. 
you might have like a little tournament or something like I know it sounds so simple but like that's what video games are about they're about achieving win states you know when you turn on the game how to like you know what it's asking of you it's it's asking you to basically beat the opponent beat the computer win the game and I think if you were to put that into this terms like yeah like it's okay for practices even for young children to be like the goal of this practice the end mission is to like for your team to win this game like because it's about how it's about then putting it in the in the children's hands or the players hands of like yeah how will we do that and that sounds overly simplistic obviously I've designed various games where it's not just win the game but for the purpose of the podcast it might be a little bit tricky to put that across on here but yeah, no, that, that makes yeah. sense. And I think that, again, what you then do with your session design is probably, you know, off the back of that. Um, so, yeah, I'm conscious I cut you off there. You mentioned that being one of the overriding principles. What were the other ones that you, you, you found? Yeah, so um, the other one was around pausing. So, like, obviously you play a computer game, you're you're basically dictating, like, when you when you pause the game, when you what support or challenge you might want to receive from the game or from others and peers. So like, this is again, putting that into the context of coaching. Like it's always the coach, isn't it? That blows the whistle, stops there, pulls a kid out, has a chat, like ask a question. It's always coming from the coach, but actually in this, it's about the coach's role is to observe and actually have a look at how are these kids looking to achieve their mission? Like what kind of things are actually happening in the game? Um, I say kids, but I mean players could be adults. And then, and then they pause when they want to check like a further challenge or if they want some support, they pause. So I have like a four C's framework. So like, yeah, pause and you can choose from like a cheat, a challenge, a clue, or a um, change. You have to use all of them. But like that basically means, yeah, we're going to pause it. We're finding this too easy. We want us to challenge you further. We want you to challenge us further. And so you might do so. Or it could be like a clue. Like, yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of finding this a bit frustrating now. Like, and we, we just need you to tell us something that's going to help. So then I might pause it, coach, give me a clue. And that's just a coaching opportunity for us. Like, yeah, a demonstration, a question, a command, like whatever it might be. Um, but they're asking for it. It's so much more meaningful, isn't it, than like us deciding that they need it or want it and i guess um, what they want as well so actually yeah. it's not us deciphering what we think they need or want it's them saying this is actually what i want at this moment in time and again yeah. you, you can work on it longer term of going well you keep going for the cheat maybe that's not going to be something that's going to benefit you how could you do it in a different way and you can start then contextualizing it but actually it's allowing them to go this is what at this moment in time I feel like I want to get more success out of this scenario and all of this is underpinned like from a theory point of view of metacognition which was the essence of the PhD and it's the underpinning of video game design so like what you're saying there is that awareness of yeah like we're not making progress right now in this game um what do I need to make more progress what do we need to make more progress and after that's implemented has it worked like so it's like getting them to really think about how they tackle problems 
and what thought thought process or strategies they use to tackle problems. And that, that's the whole point of it. Um, yeah. Perfect. I'm conscious of time. I think everyone now is going to go and Google metacognition and hopefully go and find a load of articles that will help them that. But last question for me, which is um, if I were to ask the people you work with or lo- alongside or coach um, to de- describe you in three words, how would you hope they'd describe you? Um, that's a really hard question. Committed, curious, and oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to think about the first word. That's third word. Sorry. No, that's all sure. good. As you said, it's I I like that one at the end because it gives you a thing of actually how would, would I want to be perceived by the people yeah. I'm working on the side. But listen, Amy, I'm conscious of time. Really appreciate it. Um hopefully it's something we can do again soon. Um but yeah, really appreciate your time and catch you again later later no on. Worries. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.